Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through the legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trauma Trial Transformation beautiful spring sunny day in Los Angeles, California. Today, my guest is a long, long colleague of mine. I started working with him back in the 90s. It sounds so long ago, doesn't it? And it seems we've uh, woven in and out of each other's lives when it comes to trial consulting in the past few decades. He's been a trendsetter in trial strategy, founded the Trial Behavior Consulting Company in 1984, which has services include jury selection, mock trial, jury research, witness prep, post-trial interviews, CLE programs, trial strategies, and a lot more if we'll find on his website. I'll give you that a little later. Today, they have grown into more than 20 consultants, researchers, national presence in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Chicago. And under his belt, which I looked up and I was pleasantly surprised to find, you've worked with more than 4,000 cases nationwide selected over 1,000 juries, evaluated over 75,000 potential jurors, interviewed jurors from over 500 completed trials. You've served in courtroom average, what, like maybe I think four times a month. You assist clients in civil and criminal jury trials, both federal and state across the U.S. And your experience ranged from intellectual property, high-tech, antitrust, complex commercial litigation, and on and on, among many, many others. So I want to welcome today my friend and colleague, Ron Beaton. Welcome, Ron. How are you? I'm fine, Juliet. Thank you for having me. And I can't take responsibility for all those numbers. I am well, only responsible for about half of them. Yeah, but you uh, build a team that's really impressive. Yeah, we're very proud of everybody we've got. And we just added five people and it's crazy busy, as you know, ever since COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, well, COVID coming back and right. you know, we've worked together for so long on so many cases. I was just super psyched that you accepted the invitation. So thanks again. I really appreciate it. You know, we, we go way back and we've got a lot to talk about. And I want to talk about both the jury side and the witness side today. But sure. let's, let's first talk about how, how do you handle when you're working with your clients and you go to pick a jury? And you know a case is going to have a long-lasting, like, traumatic effect on them. How, how do you work with your clients in talking about what kind of jurors to pick? Well, so much depends upon the themes that they are going to articulate in the case. Mm-hmm. So as much as we'd like to believe that there's a kind of a cookie-cutter approach to, you know, if it's an employment case, you know, you pick, you, you strike these kind of jurors. And, of course, everybody talks about, we can't pick jurors. We don't have peremptory keeps. We just have peremptory strikes. So we can just strike a few people from the jury. And the jury ends up being whatever's left over. Some people call that the grand mediocrity 
because they strike the 25% on one side of the bell curve and we strike the 25% on the other side of the bell curve. And thus mm-hmm. you're left with the 50% in the middle and thus the grand mediocrity of people who can't think of a way to get off the jury. So if you, but if you know, let's say that you are going to talk about juror questionnaires and everything here in just a little bit, but well, if you look at like really like, let's say you have a murder trial or something that's really, you know, pretty intense versus more commercial litigation and you know, it's going to be a pretty traumatic situation. Do you handle that differently in jury selection? Yeah. Yeah, you certainly do. You, you know, and as you kind of alluded to your initial question is we certainly look at people who are vulnerable and, mm-hmm. you know, will they be able to stand up to their fellow jurors? You know, I can right. tell a, a quick story of a, um, you know, I was hired to interview jurors afterwards looking for a mistrial. And a woman told me that she was threatened. She was pregnant at the time. And she was threatened by a juror who said, if you don't agree with this verdict, I'll see you out in the parking lot. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And we presented that to the judge and the judge dismissed it as uh, that just tempers normally flare in in juries. You don't expect it to be a happy place. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I was going to ask you about is that how do you look at it when not only it's not a happy place, but it's also a tough subject matter? And how do you look at it when they have to be there? They're mandated to be there, right? Everybody gets angry right. summons. You've got to show right. up. So you don't know what's going to be presented in front of you or what kind of scenario you're going to be sitting with others in. And so when you're looking, when you're talking with your client, do you ever look at the emotional side of the juror or just look at, you know, that they can handle the case? Or do you just look at the fact that, um, they have the profile we need and we have to go forward with it. Well, you know, I, I mean, I'm a profiler by trade, you know, that my background is in statistics. And so I'm the one that that's how I got into the business was because I could do a, a decent profile from a statistical sense. As I've grown over the years, over 30, you know, 36 years, I've learned that there's a lot more than just that profile mm-hmm. that there certainly is an emotional side to serving on a jury. And, mm-hmm. and we have to you know consider that when we're looking for leadership mm-hmm. and whether somebody can, whether they're going to lead or the, whether they're going to follow and it affects what we do and their leader we have to be more careful about mm-hmm. what we do with them, you know, and if they're a follower or, you know, there's less chance of mistake. Right. And then you have the people right. that, that um, we think they would speak their minds, but we don't know if they have the courage or the mm-hmm. confidence mm-hmm. to do that. Right. Right. You know, Quite a few years ago, I was sitting in a, a jury exercise because I do. I've sat in many, many, many of them to work on themes and ideas and see how people think about the cases, as as you know, and I know we've been in many of those rooms together. <laughs> and I remember a uh, an older woman being very agitated as we were watching them deliberate, and I remember 
couple people in the room being like really insensitive, not, not in a mean way, but just like, you know, she just, she doesn't get it and everything else. I'm like, no, I think there's something else going on with her. And, um, and she literally in the deliberation side of the exercise was very upset with the company because her husband had passed away in a malpractice issue. And it was not thought about in that level that maybe she had something personally she was dealing with. So when you, when you go to this, let's talk a little bit about the juror questionnaire. And the reason I was walking into this is that, you know, talk to me about how do you explain what the purpose of the questionnaire is? Yeah. Well, the purpose of the questionnaire, you know, it's it's, two, three, four fold, you know, one is that we, that is trial counsel on both sides get Mm -hmm. more information in a more rigorous fashion than we would in voir dire. And by rigorous, I mean that, you know, you, the questions are standardized so that you can ask the same question of 60 people. Or mm-hmm. uh, I just had a case where we had 500 people that went in and out of the box um, over a three-week period and trying to standardize, you know, what questions you ask um, so that the answers are somewhat comparable mm-hmm. would be impossible without the juror questionnaire. So, right. so that tells you, that tells you what? Well, it, it tells us the factors that we are looking at, you know, from our profile, it might say that, you know, the, somebody is anti-corporate mm-hmm. and so they go in one box or they're, they're tort reformers. They go on another box, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so we have a lot of kind of standard questions where we're trying to suss out who are the anti-corporate, who's the tort reformers, who's the, who are the people that are going to be high damages, who are the people that are going to be low damages. But there's another factor in this is that it's also used so that people don't have to talk about painful things mm-hmm. in open court. So right. that we know up front that the following jurors uh, you know, I mean, it it could be as simple as a car accident case or more. You know, in fact, I was going to talk to you about a, uh, it's terrible to call it a bad baby case, but it's a, you know, when babies are born and there's a problem and they mm-hmm. blame the doctor for the way the baby was delivered. Mm-hmm. And those cases are, sadly, they're fairly common. And, mm-hmm. you know, you want to have a juror questionnaire so that, People have had problems in giving birth don't have to blurt that out in open court or sex harassment. Right. You know, nobody wants to talk about sex harassment. Right. So, so really the bottom line to the questionnaire is to get to a, a common place for most, like a group of commoners. I want to, I guess I want to say that or <laughs> yeah. a, a group of people that have things uh, not necessarily in common to sway one or the other, but a more generic group that can make a fair decision, right? I mean, it's, right. it's kind of looking through that to not be in a bias because they've gone through losing a child or being sexually right. harassed because you're going to have a bias at that point. So it's really about trying to get the biases out of the way. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. It's a fast and easy and efficient way to identify the biases without embarrassing people. Yeah. Based on if they have to, you know, 
discuss trauma in their lives, let's say, right? So who comes up with the questionnaires? I mean, I, I'm asking you questions I know the answers to, but I know my listeners, they don't. And by the way, where dire is not a word that they're going to understand. So I want to keep <laughs> okay. that in mind that, uh, right, that you and I can have that conversation all day long. Yeah. But who actually comes up with the questions? Do they have to be approved by the court? Like, how does that, how does that process work? Yeah, the, typically the attorneys and the attorneys come up with the questionnaire, but then the attorneys kind of you know, subcontract it out, so to speak, to a jury consultant like myself. Mm-hmm. So I come up with the questions or mm-hmm. you know, some of my colleagues come up with the questions in the questionnaire. And then under the best of circumstances, they share it with the other side. And the other mm-hmm. side goes, no, 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 we don't like this, 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 you know. And um, and then we have, you know, a, a week of battling back and forth, or sometimes just a day of battling back and forth. We call it horse trading, where they'll take one question off if we'll take another question off, and then it gets to the point where people put questions on there just to be taken off, you know, so that you know we leave a question. That we don't care about on there because we know that, yep. And so there, there's a fair amount of chess being played in in this whole thing with people's lives at stake. Right, right. And that's uh, so. What what do you say to people like that that are just like you know, look, it's it's manipulated or that feel like it's you know, you see these television shows that come on that you know don't really portray it the way it really goes it's sensationalized for tv like how do you talk to people about that well it's in terms of whether it's manipulated fair. yeah or fair I, I i mean i think that's the toughest question that i get is are you tipping the scales of justice one way or the other and i one time told the la times that you're giving us too much credit to say that we were tipping the scales because we don't mm-hmm. weigh that much. Okay. And that almost got me fired because <laughs> it made it sound like jury consultants are not very valuable. So, um, <laughs> but what I meant by that was that, you know, we're kind of like uh, the analogy I will make is we're kind of like the, the field goal kicker is mm-hmm. that we really don't matter unless it's a close game. And then mm-hmm. it a lot where it's a close case and we, we can make a difference. But as I tell my, the people that work for me is sometimes they don't like who we're working for. Right. And I say, you know, it's your chance to tell the people in power the truth. Right. And that's what we do is we, give, you know, whoever we're working for, we're getting some objective results that are not just guesswork. And so for hundreds, you know, for 150 years or however long the justice system has been going on, attorneys have relied on, you know, intuition on, uh, I hate to say this because it sounds so dated to say old wives tales, but you know, you know, True. but you know, rules of thumb that are there's an old rule of thumb: don't pick anybody with a profession that starts with P. That's plumbers, prostitutes, and preachers. And old. trust me, there are people that believe that at a time. Mm-hmm. 
And so what we're trying to do is replace that, those horrible stereotypes with stuff that's, that's supported by empirical, em, empirical research. You know, and I, I, I say I'm an empiricist in that I, I, my recommendations are based on what the research says. I don't come in with, uh, I try to leave my preconceptions at the door and mm-hmm. tell people the truth. And sometimes it, sometimes it's good for them. Sometimes it's bad for them. But sometimes it's bad for me and my business, as you well know. You know as we, we, yes, I was going to say we've been in that situation too, where you know yeah. it's it's hard to tell clients that what they don't want to hear. Yep. Right? They want it. They want to go through a mock trial and be like, "Oh, we won." It's like, no, you don't want to win. You, you don't. That's a preconceived notion that you want to come out looking really great in a mock trial because that doesn't tell you where your weaknesses are yep. or what people. It's it's a false pretense in a way that that allows you to kind of look at you know a jury pool differently and and not not in the way it's it's going to be in reality right I mean it's um, it's a whole different ballgame when they're yep. wanting to win early before they walk in the courtroom versus looking at their mistakes but you know I want to, I want to get your opinion on um, and I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this since since this trial the the Murdoch trial uh-huh. I don't know how much you paid attention to that and, and watched that did you watch I didn't that? pay I didn't pay close attention to it I know the 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 broad parameters yeah it. so. I want to get your opinion on, okay, so, so here's, you know, like I said, you're, you're mandated because we're talking about witnesses here in a second. So you're mandated yeah. to be there, right? you get a jury summons. You absolutely have to be there. You have no choice unless you can, you have the excuse to try and get off, but you have jurors that are going to sit there and look at some of the most horrendous photographs, some of the most, you know, horrible sounds, visuals. How do you, like, after you do uh, maybe like a juror interview, like, how do you how do you help people like this, or do you, or or is there a system that we can start talking about that allows people to get help in this situation? Is that I I watch that trial and I just think about like her sister, their best friends, the ripple effect. Like, how do you when you look at it from jurors' perspective or witness perspective? How do we help these people? Well, I don't know. Uh, that's a really good question. I know that's what I'm always interested in. Is that how? You know, I, I would love to get anybody wants to even come on and talk about that experience just because how do they get past that? How do they get past the the trauma? It is traumatic. I mean, if you're in some, some cases or, you know, I mean, more traumatic for witnesses sometimes, I think, than yeah. jurors. But they're Absolutely. very traumatic, you know, I mean, uh, jury trials. That how, how, how do they respond to that? It's fascinating. It's probably the most fascinating part of my work is talking to jurors after a trial and what's interesting is most people will say well why are they going to talk to you and i said because right. no one else is interested right. and they've just had this you know and it, it can be a very traumatic can be very uh, um uh, inspiring sometimes mm-hmm. uh, uninspiring a lot of times and mm-hmm. uh, and i'm somebody they can talk to and they spill the beans. They they talk about other jurors who pressured them, other jurors who frustrated them, and them trying to do the right thing, but the right thing was very different for different people. 
well, that's, I was going to say the definition of the right thing has got to be very, very different. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know if you knew, I, I actually was a foreman on a jury about the, no. right before COVID. Yeah. I couldn't believe they took me actually. And, um, <laughs> but it was, it was so great to see the process internally because, you know, I've always watched it from the outside of the, you know, the j- deliberation room. Yeah. And to really go through, I, I felt for a lot of people because number one, you know, kids got to pick up kids, got, you know, they have life that's going on and then yep. they've got, you know, they have to try and do the right thing and they're fighting other people. But when you have this like traumatic situation, like the Murdoch trial, I thought, what can we do to help these jurors? Like, let's just say on a lunch break, you know, there's no, you know, that's why I want to talk to you about, med- you know, down the road about meditation and, and ways to like just calm yourself through the process because it's so, it can be very intense. I mean, we obviously saw it, you know, in the Peterson trial and um, I've seen it multiple times in different cases. Yep. And I just, you know, I, I also go back to like the George Floyd, you know, you've got these young kids and I've talked about this multiple times on this podcast, picked up their phone, seeing something happen, not realizing that, they become one of the biggest witnesses in the case, right? And they're yeah. 16 years old. You know, how oh. jurors look at that and say, wow, that's, you know, they're learning from something. So I want to talk a little bit. That's going to lead me right into witness prep. But I, I want yep. to step back one second. I do remember being in trial with you that one point in time. And we had somebody following us through the hotel. I don't know if you remember that in Philadelphia. Yes. That one yes. Time. Yes. We were both just like, wait a minute. Didn't that guy have the same clothes on the night before yeah. standing at the elevator? And now he's in the elevator with us the next morning. So. I yeah. couldn't let us forget that that uh, that we've had those moments together for sure. <laughs> yeah, I I shared the floor with Master P, and um, yep, yeah, we were there for a month. Yep. Oh yeah, we were there for a long time. That was remarkable. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we're we're there for a long period of time, and people come into bars and they they sit around waiting for us to slip up and say something. That's that's why my rules were always very strict, even though I got many phone calls on. People can't talk about it. And I said, you know, I get it. It's it's a lot of that bubble-esque uh, mindset around it. But yeah. before I get too far off topic there, let me let me talk to you about the uh, about witness prep. So I know yeah. you've got some like established methods, you know, to teach witnesses like some specific, you know, techniques. Can you give if somebody was listening to this podcast today, can you can you give them any kind of just pointers like what they would yeah. need to to do as as a witness? Yeah. Well, you know, everybody's different in terms of how to prep witnesses. I think there's, in fact, I was talking to somebody today who who saw one of the best witness prep people ever, a woman named Joyce Songus, prep somebody. And she had this long series of steps that people should follow that she wrote down. And then he, this colleague of hers stepped in and he says it was more like a, it was more like a, a tent revival meeting than it was witness prep. She, Good. the witness cried, they hugged, and then they made up, and then they got on with it. And I go, really? And I have to say, I've never done that. I've never, but there are people that do that, that, you know, that have an ability to connect with jurors and, or uh, with witnesses and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, in fact, I was writing it down a little bit that I go, I try to go back with them. I think everybody tries to, to go back beyond just what they're testifying about and talk mm-hmm. to them about their job and why they became CEO or why they, how, the, in fact, you were there the time I um, worked with the, how did you become the, 
top ophthalmologist for the U.S. Air Force. Right. How did you become that? You know, and what's and, your story, right? And it, 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 and they're always fascinating stories. And right. you know, and you know that I'll never forget him and trying to prep him. And I felt I, I did not feel qualified to prepare the top ophthalmologist for the U.S. Air Force, but nevertheless, I pushed on. And he was a wonderful guy and nevertheless got asked a question nobody anticipated that blew him out of the water that I didn't think was possible. But with most witnesses, I try to bring them back to what got them here. Right. I think some witness prep people go further back. Uh, most clients don't like you going further back. Most clients, mm -hmm. meaning the lawyers, when you say, well, talk to me about why you got into this business and and talk to me about regrets that you have and the attorney will say could we talk a minute and they bring me outside <laughs> and say you know i don't see this is going where we need it to go and i've only got an hour and so uh, could we get to the point of the matter and i go uh, okay so uh, just the reality of it is that a you know, attorneys are not necessarily receptive right. to what is good for the witness. Well, that's what my that's the whole point of this is that why are attorneys not? I mean, I, I trust me, I've seen it a hundred times. I always say, like, okay, you're off the stand. Here's your ham sandwich. See you later. You're, there's your lunch, and you just went through the most traumatic situation you've ever had in your life, right? And and so I'm hoping that we can just start talking about the fact that we need to be more aware of this with witnesses. It, it's, yeah. it's a very stressful, tough situation that, I mean, most witnesses that I've, you know, interviewed on this podcast, they, they're just like, it was the worst. I mean, I was, I was deposed in my own personal lawsuit oh. and it was horrible. It was just, you know, it, it knocked me off my feet for a good week. And, you know, I, I know that the attorney's, like want to get it done. They're factual. They're not emotionally based. They got to move on. Their, their job is to win. And I understand that, but we need to start looking at that. I think a little bit more in a way that says, what can we do to make the process a little more yeah. emotionally comfortable? Right. Cause it's just a very uncomfortable environment in general. And no matter if it's your, you're the head of a CEO of a, a corporation or you're sitting there charged for murder and you didn't do it. I mean, it's all a very uncomfortable situation, but you know, one of the things that I saw on your website, one of my favorite lines in your website was actually, it says the key to witness preparation is telling the truth and being comfortable with that truth. Do yep. you find this hard to get people to do? No, but <laughs> it's hard to know what the truth is. You know, and their truth is not necessarily my truth or truth is a slippery thing because they have, most witnesses have created a narrative in their mind on how things went down and have become convinced of it. And, and it's tough to move them off mm -hmm. that narrative. A lot of times that narrative is not necessarily good for our client. Sometimes it is. And sometimes it's good for our client and I don't believe it right. one bit. Right. You know, it just, and, and again, my job is to tell the truth and, and to try to get them to tell the truth because I don't believe that. I think it's very hard to get away 
by telling an, an untruth. I think certainly people do, but I think more often than not, they get caught. I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, it, it just, the other side's too good. And there's too much out there. And, you know, it's because of that. You know, I, I've been doing this 36 years, and I, am, I have more faith in the jury system than I did 36 years ago. This is a quick aside, but just to tell you the kind of thing that I that strike me is that we left a guy on the jury who in San Francisco who was a classic bicycle messenger guy. Everything that you could see was either tatted up or pierced. Mm-hmm. And as you might imagine, my you know, my you know, Fortune one hundred client did not want this guy on the jury. And they just were were horrified by it. And but we ran out of strikes and left him on the jury and he ended up being a very good juror for us. And I talked to him afterwards and there was a transformation. That the this is probably an exaggeration, but I'm gonna say it for a fact is that this may be the first time that anybody has taken this guy seriously in his life is wow. they trusted him. Mm-hmm. And he was moved. He was moved by the fact that he, they allowed him to take the oath. And, you know, this is a kid that left Michigan and his mother and father who were, you know, very rich. You know, his father was a, you know, was some kind of, was in stocks. And and I talked to him afterwards and he just, it, it was moved. And so... You've got people on those on the jury that can that are sincerely trying to do the right thing, and then you've got witnesses up there that aren't sometimes trying to do the right thing, and sometimes they're not trying to do the right thing. Right. I'll also talk to you about the most moving witness, the the regret, the greatest regret I have in my professional career, is about a witness, who I don't know if we have time for it. Yep, I got another few minutes here for sure. Okay. It was a um, medical malpractice case, and I spent a couple of days working with the OBGYN because it was a it was a bad baby case. And the baby had been born with several defects that they claimed were caused by how the doctor delivered the baby, and you know that they didn't pick up on certain signs of I think it was epoxia in the in the womb and should have been pulled out sooner and blah, 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 blah. I don't remember all the details, but I've spent several days working with the doctor. And she was, and this is a dated reference, but she is like a female Marcus Welby. She is Mm -hmm. the doctor we all dreamed of having growing up. Somebody Mm -hmm. who cared for you, somebody who cared Mm -hmm. for her patients deeply. You know, and this was not just a job to her. And she won the case and called me several months later and said, wanted to tell me, Ron, I've just quit being a doctor. And I was devastated. And she said, I said, why? And she said, I started looking at patients like every patient was a potential lawsuit. Lawsuit, yeah, oh, wow. And that's, you know, you talk about trauma. She won. She won and still came out of the process traumatized. 
the whole process, not just sitting on the whole process traumatizes everybody. I had an attorney picking just before we picked the jury, we're in the bathroom. He's throwing up. He's throwing up in the toilet next to me. This is a guy who is the president of a major law organization in Los Angeles. And he's throwing up and he goes afterwards. He's I say, you okay? And he says, Ronnie boy, I think I should have been a taxi driver. I don't think I'm built for this. I said, do you do this every time? He said, yeah, I do it every time. And so uh, trial, the litigation process leaves a trail of trauma from the attorneys to the witnesses to even the jurors, a trail of trauma. And the ripple effect of families and jobs. And uh, so I, so I guess that's why I, I just couldn't wait to talk to you and we're going to have so much more to talk about even after this podcast, but you know, have you ever considered a more holistic approach to witness prep, like meditation, mindful experiences? I mean, it's something I'm working on that I no. really want to sit down with you on. And because it's something I'm really focused on, it helped me so much through my process, meditation did. And I'm working on some guided legal meditations, which you and I are going to spend some time on at one point, hopefully. And just on how to to make the process a little lighter, a little easier, a little softer. Um, oh. Because like you said, I'm glad you brought that up because it is. And um want the podcast to be a resource for people that, you know, I need to, I need to call and talk to somebody. I, I, it's okay to, to admit that it is tough. It's okay to admit to get off the stand and like, you know, Maggie Murdoch's sister and say, wow, I, I, I need to try and get through this. So it's, but do you, what do you do for self-care? You know, it's funny because I read a little bit about your podcast before coming on and I thought about it and I, I, I wish I did more because I, I'm also, you know, uh, you know, sort of a victim of it all too. I've had shingles for four years. I've had wow. this, this where I, I, you know, I mean, here I am on a podcast, but I'll say I've been taking, you know, four Percocets a day to get by. Wow. And, you know, and I would love to learn another way. Well, we're going to talk about that. Cause I, I think that there's multiple ways for us. Number one in the industry, number two, those that have to go through the courtroom doors. I, I do yeah. think there's a better way. I, I really, in my heart of hearts, I had my own healing epiphany and journey. And since I've talked to you in the last few years, and I just, I think there's a lot more that we can do. And I, I think that I wish you well on that because that's, that stress is going to pack up somewhere. And fortunately the attorney next to you is throwing it up and getting it out. You've got to try and find a way to, to get it out somewhere. Right. I mean, right. that's yeah. what we have to try to do. You know, I mean, I've seen doctors from UCSF to Emory University in Atlanta trying to get help. And a paid psychologist tells me I need to de-stress. And right. seriously. Yeah. I'm the president it's, of, a, you know, yeah. it, I'm in, uh, you know, arguably one of the most stressful jobs in the world. You yeah. know, I mean, and, you know, apologies to those people who have higher stress, but it's stressful. You know, I'm dealing it with is. attorneys who are trying, you know, a bet the company case or, yep. or trying or businesses are on the line, murder cases are on the line, right. everything's yeah. on the line. On the and line. I say I'm like a, I surf from, from high stress to high stress to high stress to high stress. And it finally caught me, you know, and I've had this pain for four years and counting and I am wondering if there's a better way. And that's why I'm fascinated by 
your your path mm-hmm. because your path is very similar to my path and very. you I, I'll never forget when I talked to you right after the Peterson verdict mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the sentencing and you had some choice comments and I, I'll just I'll never forget it and you care I do, even, and I—it's hard even, not to. It's it's even, hard not even, to. You're even for a murder, you know, even for right. a murder. You care. Yeah. You cared more than his attorney. Yeah. I'm sorry to say that, yeah. but you cared more than his attorney about the sentence. It's, it's yeah, and it, I cared because it's also uh, they're human beings. We're all human beings, and you know the truths are are always skewed the media i don't know what to listen to i mean there's another reason you know we're in the bubble you and i you know we live in bubbles and um i just i remember my brother saying to me after that trial you know Jules i was afraid to ask anything about it and i said you know what it's okay to ask but i just want you to know that life is just not always fair and it's not always easy it's just you have to sometimes just walk through the process and and being in trial is a very be a very, very traumatic thing. And I just went, like you said, sir, from trial to trial to trial. So how can we, how can we make a difference, Ron? So I, I, I really can't wait to, to talk to you after this too, because we're going to, we've got some stuff we got to get connected on, but um, I got to kind of wrap things up here. So where, where would people find you? It's what a great conversation, by the way. I just, I can't stop. Say, I have to stop and say that, that just has just been incredible. <laughs> I just, I miss talking to you so much. So, but where would people find you? Best places are website you know, trialbehavior.com. Uh, I think it does a pretty good job of helping you find me and my people and what we do and what, what we can help you with and, and just to talk. I, yeah. I mean, I'm in your boat. I've been doing this a long time and it's time to, to recollect and reconnect and, and yeah. resurrect and, and just, you know, get healthy. Let's think get healthy. About, right? Think about that's, what we've been doing. Yeah, let's get healthy emotionally, physically. Yes. I mean, you know, it's going to come out physical, the emotional side. That's what trauma I, is. The trauma is that separation that just starts building in your body, like you said. And so let's it, let's let's it, get healthy. It does. It does. I I feel it personally, and and uh, you know, and with my clients, the attorneys and the witnesses and everybody. It just yeah. uh, it it's like I said. It says. It's a trail of trauma. Yeah. And it leaves. You've been doing it a long time. You've been, yeah, I, it I, leaves. I, you've been longer than I have. And I know it's, it's been a long road. So I know you've been there for a long time. And, and it leaves a lot of people by its wayside. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I really support and love what you are doing. Thank because you. Because somebody I needs so to grateful. do it. That I just, well, thank I, you. I, and I'm yeah, super yeah. excited about that because we're going to be, I'm knocking on your door actually in the next week or so. <laughs> I've got a lot to talk to you about. So bring it on, all right, baby, everybody. Bring it on. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ron. Thank you so much for being here today. I really, really appreciate that. So I want to wrap up by, uh, by saying, you know, we, we can reach out to each other. Like, us, you know, our tagline to this podcast is healing happens when we share our stories. If you're out there and needing to, get into the legal system or been pulled into the legal system, just know that there is help out there and get to trauma trial transformation or juliethuck.com and just go out today and spread some love and just be kind to each other. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. 
Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at juliethuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com. There you can find her books, The Equation of Persuasion, and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts.